We turn out the Gospel according to Luke and chapter 1, and we can read at verse number 34. Luke chapter 1 and at verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And so on. I'm sure in many ways the Gospels give to us a a history of what happened in the days of the Lord Jesus. The Gospel of Luke does especially that for us because Luke is a historian who has given to us the account as he saw it and heard it. And also he gives to us the book of Acts which is a continuing story of the emergence of the church in the New Testament. So Luke being a historian helps us to place what happened in the life of the world to do so in the history of the surrounding world which of course is important and when we come to think and continue to think of see the unfolding of God's promises in the life of Jesus we come here of course to the stage in the history of the church when Jesus has not yet been born when John the Baptist has not yet been born but when we can clearly see that there is that continuity with the promises of God so that what is happening is clearly connected to what God has spoken in the past and the whole purpose of God uh, comes to to the stage where, where there is greater light and where things begin to become much more visible and we begin to realize what it was that God said and what God had in his heart. We saw in the morning the way in which in 740 BC Ahaz refused to ask the Lord for a sign and because of his unbelief he did so. But God himself gave the sign that a virgin would conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. And here we, we join the, the, the unfolding of the plan and we, we see that in 6 BC we see that Elizabeth conceives and she is carrying a child. He is John the Baptist and in verse 26 of this chapter, in the sixth month of her pregnancy, something new happens and here is the story that's going to really change the world that Mary is going to give birth to a son. And so in that sense we are moving from the first promise given in Genesis and in 4004 BC to Isaiah in 740 BC uh, and on to 6 and 5 BC when all of these things are now taking place. So in this passage this evening as we continue to think of the promise of God unfolding in the life of Jesus we want to think of the Virgin Mary and God's intervention. In the morning we saw the unfaithful king and God's intervention. It was God's intervention in the words that he spoke. But but here we have the Virgin Mary and God's intervention in the things that he actually did. And then we see what the work of God is truly like. I want to see first of all in the verses as we look at the surrounding verses we want to see the connection. Because heaven has spoken through Isaiah to Ahaz. Heaven has spoken down through 
the years of the history of the people of God. And the last time that God spoke to the people of God was in 430 BC in the words of Malachi. And so there's that silence when God is not speaking. And that's why Zechariah, when he goes in, serving as a priest to the temple, when he goes in, he's expecting nothing. And when Gabriel does speak to him, then he gets the fright of his life because they really had lost sight of, of what God had said and going through the motions and nothing was happening. But now things begin to happen and the great connection that we have here comes through Gabriel commissioned by God to go not only to a place but to a person and to do so in order to bring about the greatest event that ever took place in the history of the world. And that's what we see at verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of Mary. Gabriel, the chief angel of God, Gabriel who speaks to Daniel to to explain to Daniel the last things that are going to happen in the world through his own visions. It's now that Gabriel who comes to tell us and to tell Mary what's going to happen in the last days of the world through the coming of the Son of God. And the connection that, that God makes is, is so particular and so definite that it is the means of connecting everything that he has said before with this one moment in the experience of this one woman because he comes to a virgin betrothed to Joseph. God said in Isaiah 7 that a virgin will conceive or the virgin will conceive. And the, the definite way in which God spoke through Isaiah in Isaiah 7 now becomes definite because here is the virgin and she is the Virgin Mary, and she is betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. That's no accident. They're not yet married. They're, 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 there has been no physical relationship between them. She is betrothed to him, but significantly, he belongs to the house of David. And we, we rewind and we go back again to the history of the people of God and the promises where, where God said to Abraham that kings would come forth from him, where God reinforced that, especially through David himself, that from him, from his own body would come someone who would sit upon his throne. And that person would, would have the throne of his kingdom established before him forever. And, and that person who would come would be the one whom God would see as his son and he would see God as his father of the household of David. So particular what we expect of God. Definite places, definite people, definite circumstances. Everything is working so that the promises of God will be fulfilled. And it's remarkable the way in which we see that the, the accuracy of the way in which uh, the plans of God do unfold to connect in that particular way. And the real way here in which he comes to, 
Mary, who is a virgin betrothed to Joseph. We read in Genesis chapter 4 that Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived and bore a son and they called him Cain. And that's what has not happened in this case. There is no marriage. There is no knowing Mary in the sense of having sexual relationships with her. That there is no contact in that way at all. She is the virgin. She has never had that kind of relationship with Joseph. She is innocent as far as that comes. She is pure and she is perfect, having never had such relationships. The connection is so wonderfully beautiful in the fulfillment of everything that God has said to this coming to this particular woman and when he comes to her he comes to highlight the fact that she is special and we should not fear to highlight what God highlights that Mary the mother of Jesus is unique she is special and the angel makes, makes that quite clear in, in, in verse 28. He came to her and said, Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. There is a sense of welcoming and a sense of coming with the commission of God and with God's greetings. Sometimes we, we go somewhere ourselves and we, we tell whoever is, someone might tell us, Bring your greetings when you go. And when you meet that person, give them our greetings. Send, we send our love to them through you. And in many ways, there's that sense of, of Gabriel coming here. It is greetings. He is welcoming Mary because he is coming in the name of the Most High God. And he comes with that sense of the nearness and the heart and the words that come from God himself. You are the favoured one. And the whole idea of the word favour comes from the word that we repeatedly use and translate throughout the New Testament especially. It's the word that is spoken as grace. Favoured one as the one who is endued with grace. And when Gabriel does come, there is that Connection through which is communicated the heart and love of God and the grace of God which sets her apart in a particular way. The Lord is with you. A fearful thing at one level. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the people of God and they said to Moses, you go and, and, and speak to God. Don't let us come near. There is that sense of fear when the Lord is with us. But when the Lord is with us in his grace and in his favour, it is not time for fearing. It is time for recognising the gracious, loving, saving presence of God. As Joseph said at Bethel in Genesis 28, when he realised that God is with him and God said, I am with you. And he speaks of it being the house of God and he speaks of it 
being the very gates of heaven. That's the sense in which Mary here recognizes and is caused to appreciate that the Lord is with her. And we see that as, as she recognizes that, that, that she is greatly troubled at the same. And perhaps we should not take that, that, that whole expression as sensing that, that she's afraid or that, that she wants to withdraw from where she is. The, the real picture is that she doesn't understand in her mind what is happening. And the trouble comes because this needs some kind of explanation. And of course she does. How could she possibly understand what's happening when the, the fulfillment of the promise of God is about to take place through her and the conditions for that are being prepared by the coming of Gabriel? She is troubled and tried to discern tried to work out logically in her mind to put all of this together and to work out exactly what God is doing with her in this very moment. Troubled because she could not understand. And that brings the, the whole encounter here as the, the connection point through which God is now going to Work the marvellous, the miracle that he has promised he would do. It's a wonderful connection. Let's marvel at the way in which God enters this house in, in Nazareth and Galilee. And let's remember the marvel of how particular and how definite and how purposeful and intentional God is when he sends Gabriel here. The connection. That leads secondly to the conception. And the angel says to Mary, do not be afraid. You have found favour with God. Noah found favour, grace in the eyes of the Lord. Mary has found favour in the eyes of God. And the favour is such Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. She couldn't figure out in her thinking what was going to happen. Now there is this announcement from God by Gabriel to her. You will conceive and bear a son. And that declaration is in itself the cause for her. To be silenced with wonder. Conception. The conception that usually takes place with a male sperm and a female egg, where fertilization takes place and where the egg is, travels to the womb and where a pregnancy begins. It's the marvel of a new life created by God that leaves us all here, that in a particular moment, in the experience of parents, there was that conception. And there came from that conception, you and I and all of us from our own parents. And so we are here because of this marvelous way in which 
the God who said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, works it out in, in every generation so that there are parents and there are children. You shall conceive and bear a son. But the shocking truth for Mary is that he is saying this to her and she has not yet known a man. She has not yet had sexual relationships with a man. What he says echoes what God said through Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and bear a son. What it said perhaps finds its origin in Genesis 3 where God says that the seed of the woman that he will crush the head of the serpent. There is a particular way in which there is an individual that emerges from the woman but the, the marvel of that offspring of the woman coming does not come to light in Genesis 3. It begins to emerge in Isaiah 7. But here in Luke chapter 1 we have the real thing happening. She will conceive and bear a son. And there are so many marvelous things about that. And one of them is that the conception of the son in her womb bypasses the natural process. The marvel, in a sense, begins with the declaration, but it's a marvel that we certainly have when we think of the fact that he is going to be conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And the marvel then unfolds because of the way in which Gabriel makes it clear to Mary that this son is going to be no ordinary son. And we wouldn't expect that because the conception isn't ordinary. There is the extraordinary son. He will be, you shall call his name Jesus, he will be great and will be called the son of the Most High and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. You shall call, call his name Yehoshua, Jesus. He will save his people. He will be the son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Verses that are packed with everything that God has spoken before. We could spend our time tracing all of these elements back to, to Psalm number 2, back to, to 2 Samuel chapter 7, back to these key places in the Old Testament where, where all of these truths find their root and here they are coming to flower in the child that is going to be carried in this woman's womb. He will be. He will reign. He will have the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end. Here is God's son. Here is God's saviour. Here is God's mediator. Here is God's king. Here is the one who is going to rule over his church. Everything is focused on the coming of the Son of God through this 
woman. A divine son with a clear divine mission that's going to come into the world to fulfill everything that God has spoken before. The conception. We worship God because of the connection and we marvel at it. We worship God because of this miraculous conception because we cannot but wonder at the way in which the promise that was so mysterious in Genesis 3 now finds its flowering when the seed of the woman is the seed of Mary and when the child that she is carrying is the fulfillment of all that God is. And the marvel that the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us, the marvel that the Son of God is a fertile egg in the womb of Mary, betrothed to Joseph of the house of David in Nazareth of Galilee. The conception. And that leads naturally to my third point, which is the creation. What would we expect Mary to say? Exactly what she said. She is confronted with this great announcement from heaven. The wonder that is going to take place in her experience. And she asks the obvious question. How will this be since I am a virgin? For her, that deserves an explanation. That needs an explanation. It's not the question of doubt. It's faith facing reality and looking at the way in which faith needs an element of of understanding to go forward. Faith is not blind in that sense. It takes faith to trust when we don't understand, but we do need a level of knowledge for faith to work and for Mary to go forward with what the angel has said to her needs an explanation. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The Holy Spirit. The third passion of the Godhead, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that we read of in Genesis chapter 1 and the sparkling beauty of, of the first creation as it begins that the Spirit of God was hovering over the water with that sense of, of the readiness to bring about fruit, to change, to bring about creation, to form things new. And when God says, let there be light, so the Spirit of God creates light. The Holy Spirit that has all of the power and all of the credentials and all of the nature and the character of God. The Holy Spirit that is God of himself. He will come upon you. 
and that very thought itself. We think of, of the weight of a burden and we think of something coming upon us and we think of a burden that we cannot bear that's going to crush us. We can think of coming upon us in that sense. But the Holy Spirit will come upon you as it came upon the waters. As the Holy Spirit came over the people of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, for example, he encircled Jacob and cared for him like an eagle that stirs up its nest, flutters over its young spreading wings. Come upon you. It's a sense of not of the, of the crushing presence of God, but of the, of the powerful, creative presence of God that is here, as if it were, spreading its wings over, over the, the, the womb of, of the Virgin Mary, as, as he did so over the people of God in the Old Testament and as he did over the creation itself. The Holy Ghost will come upon you. And alongside of that, or, or another way of, of saying the same thing, because there are two things happening. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. The Most High God. The God Most High who spoke to Abraham. The God Most High who speaks through the covenant down through the Old Testament the God Most High who, who brings about what he has promised to do within his covenant to, to bring life where there is none. The power of the Most High. That ability that God has to achieve. That sense of capacity that God has. Whatever he has said he will do, he has the power, the capacity, the ability. He has everything in his eternal power to bring it all about. Will overshadow you. It's the sense of the tent covering. Jesus later on was at the Mount of Transfiguration and the presence of God came down, the cloud overshadowed them. God comes to, to dwell in the tabernacle in Exodus chapter 40. He comes to, to dwell in, in the temple in 1 Kings chapter 8. He comes to overshadow the glory of God, filled the tabernacle and filled the temple. The cloud was over the tent to indicate the powerful presence of God where his throne was within the inner place. Here God dwells with his people. And now in this moment all of that powerful presence is going to come to, to, to Mary and is going to overshadow her. And to do so in, in such a way as to, to create the environment through which the marvellous work of conceiving the Son of God in the womb of Mary is now going to take place. That 
child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. There is that conception. There is no male human agent involved. We can say that, that Mary is, is passive in this moment. And that the powerful overshadowing presence of God takes a, a, an egg in, in, in the Virgin Mary and fertilizes it in such a way as to, to bring a, or initiate a, a pregnancy. There is conception and there is a pregnancy. And these three things that they come together in, in the moment of, of this overshadowing of the power and the presence of God. And the God who is, who is the God of the impossible, who, who will cause Sarah to have a child when, when she is way beyond childbearing age, but a child that comes through Abraham and Sarah knowing each other. Here there is no such relationship. It is purely and perfectly that which God brings about by the power of his Holy Spirit. And in that moment we, we, we read, the, read these words in the book of Psalms in Psalm 139. What, what is God doing in this moment? He is working out his plans. And we'll read through these verses and there's such a, a beautiful summary of a way in which we can understand what God is doing here. My inmost being, you are formed within my mother's womb. For you, O Lord, created me. You wove, you wove me in on your loom. That there is that sense of the creative, careful activity of God, forming and fashioning and bringing everything together. When in the secret place my frame was made before my birth, you saw my body yet unformed within the depths of the earth. There's a model, there's a plan. Here is the body that the writer of the Hebrews says, a body you are prepared for me, in the words of, of the Lord Jesus, who embraces that, that, these words and that Psalm number 40. But there is what God has planned and intended. And he takes that. And now, in the mystery of the secrecy, of the invisible way in which, which God works now in Mary's inner being and womb. He forms and, and he fashions and he does all the days that I should live which you ordained for me were written in your book, O Lord, before they came to be. The connection was deliberate and precise. The purpose was clear and precise also. The new creation that we have in this moment was precisely worked out everything that was written in God's book, in God's plan. And when, when we come to the womb of the Virgin Mary. 
we have the beginning of the new things. Here is the Son of God taking our nature. Here is the, the newness that will bring about every other stage and step of newness. Because of the newness of, of his conception and taking our nature, apart from the, the natural process, he will do the new thing of living a life that is perfect. He will do the new thing of, of giving perfect obedience to God. He will do the new thing of, of, of bearing our sins and dying for the sins of the world. And God will bring the next new thing by raising his son from the dead. Everyone who is in Christ, new creation. The creation in the woman's significance. It is the power of this creation that enables the Son of God to go through death itself, to triumph over it, and that enables God tonight to save you and me. Nothing less than the creative power of the finger of God, of the Holy Spirit of God, nothing less than that will make you or me new. But because of this moment, God will and God can make you new and make me new. And that newness begins when he plants his word and the seed of the gospel in our hearts. And from there, we grow ourselves as the seed of God, as the children of God, as the children of Abraham, as the children of promise. And so we are as the people of God the new creation. Therefore the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. Called holy. As we close in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 57, God is speaking, and Isaiah is speaking, and he's encouraging the people to, to think of the God who is high and lifted up, whose name is holy. And here I see that this child will be called holy. He has the same name because he is the same God, because he is the same holy God, and because he is set apart as the Holy One to carry out the work of God. And so we have the Virgin Mary and God's intervention to bring about this marvelous new thing. We can call it miraculous, it is. We, we, we can call it marvelous, and it is. Every word that we can think of that, that will highlight the beauty and the uniqueness of this moment we can use because God is at last showing us what his purpose is. And may God help us to, to celebrate the truth, to celebrate the promises of God, to celebrate the way in which they unfold, and to celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus, and to do so in a meaningful way, with the faith that, that, that Mary herself had, when she said in verse 38, 
Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. It's surrender to the worship of, of the Son of God in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And let's surrender with a surrender of faith to believe and to trust so that we might receive the promise of God's salvation by the power and help of the Spirit of God. May God bless his word to us. Let us pray. Most gracious God, we do seek to humble ourselves before you and to acknowledge the wonder that is God, the wonder that is the Lord Jesus, and the wonder that you sent your Son into this world. We rejoice in you as the great God who has purposes and plans, who has power, who has capacity, who has ability, who can do everything that you have purposed to do. And as we give thanks to you for the power of the conception of your Son in the womb of the Virgin Mary, we pray you, O Lord God, to help us to trust in you as the one who brings sinners like yourselves alive from the dead and who makes us new creations in Christ Jesus with the old things uh, passing away and have passed away and a new life lived to the glory of God. So hear our prayer and accept us for Jesus' sake. Amen.